On the record on News Talk. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On the 6th of March 1964, Cassius Clay announced that he was no more and a new star was born. That star, of course, being Muhammad Ali. This year is the 50th anniversary of the time that he fought in Ireland, his boxing match in Croke Park, which of course was a media circus in its time. It was bankrolled by an eccentric businessman with an even more eccentric name, Butty Sugru. We're definitely going to talk about that in a minute, Donald Fallon. Um, but it was the visit of, of one of the world's greatest stars and yet somehow it still lost money. And the visit was viewed as something of a comeback tour given what every, everything that Ali had said about the Vietnam War. And in the end, the whole visit proves to be a very strange affair. Um, so Donald Fallon has been uh, down to the gym uh, busting off, uh, dusting off his boxing gloves. Um, Cassius Clay was one name and Muhammad Ali was another. But of course, to many, it doesn't really matter what you call him. He's just the greatest. Yeah, and, and for reasons unconnected to this slot, I was recently in St. Saviour's Boxing Club in, in the heart of the inner city. And Muhammad Ali is everywhere. I mean, he's still a god to, to boxers across mm. the world. Born in January 1942, uh, Muhammad Ali came to earn, you know, maybe the finest nickname there is, the greatest. Yeah. Who could dispute a nickname like that? And, you know, that kind of nickname would imply on some level constant adoration you know who would ever challenge the greatest but the story is more complex than that as we'll get into today and I think here in Ireland we're an interesting albeit very small part of the story of the man they knew as Muhammad Ali family roots in Ennis County Clare Mm, he could boast of being the first free man of Ennis they'd never done it for (laughs) anyone else before Muhammad Ali and listeners might also recall it was was so moving wasn't it his involvement in the opening of the Special Olympics uh, in Croke Park what a moment that was for the country a remarkable moment in Irish sporting history and international sporting history, the first time outside the US and a really global event that involves cities, towns and villages across the Mm. island. So for us, you know, Muhammad Ali, we think of him as this lovable older gentleman who came here in the latter Mm. years of his life. But today, I suppose, is about a very different Muhammad Ali. Standout memory of 2003 Special Olympics is having to learn the national anthem of Botswana because Trim was the host town to Botswana and uh, myself and my mother had to perform the national anthem for uh, the Botswana uh, athletes as they were visiting. That's a whole other story. Uh, We'll play out with that some other day. You know, listeners on the road today listen to this, if you're you're driving across rural Ireland, you often still see the signs, host village too. Ath boy, host town to Togo. Um, Cassius Clay becomes a star, uh, almost more of a star for his ability to sell himself and his talk, his words, as well as his ability in the ring. Yeah, the story of Muhammad Ali is brilliant. And one biography begins, robbed of his bike in school, Cassius Clay started to box at 12 years of age. (laughs) And I don't know if that's true or not, because you never know with someone like like Muhammad Ali. You know, they they build this legend around themselves. And he becomes an incredible figure for, for all kinds of reasons. Showmanship is one, verbal taunting, you know, and the quick quickwittedness on a microphone was absolutely legendary and he was one of the first great sporting stars I think who was good for headlines at the front of the newspaper uh, as well as the back but he had developed these brilliant kind of ditties and rhymes before fighting opponents uh, four years after winning the light heavyweight gold medal at the 1960 Olympics he wins the undisputed professional world heavyweight championship and he would predict going into a fight exactly when he would drop an opponent some of the lines are great you know I've wrestled with alligators I've tussled with a whale I've done handcuff lightning and true thunder in jail you know I'm bad just last week I murdered a rock injured a stone hospitalised a brick I'm so mean I made medicine sick <laughs> but above it's all else it's a great else, line who could forget yeah. Float like a butterfly, 
sting like a bee. And he's an icon to mm. to you know the hip hop community as well. You know, people like Public Enemy, Run the MC, they all talked about the influence of the way he presented himself yeah. in those press conferences. Uh, just by the by, when you mentioned the, the Olympic medal that he won in nineteen sixty in Rome, I think it's one of the, the the things that I remember most about the ninety six games in Atlanta where he was obviously the final person who lit the torch and how remarkable it was because he hadn't been seen in public for so long. I'd also remember him being presented with a replica medal because he had apparently thrown the original away in some wow. fit of peak so he'd thrown it into the Tiber and had never seen it again and the IOC presented him with a replacement gold medal uh, which was presented I think inside the basketball arena there and it was just so, an incredible um, moment and it was real a real memory for those Olympics for those of us who remember it for reasons other than um, a certain swimmer in a certain pool um, every uh, great story of course involves a rivalry um, Ali had many of them um, but he probably starts out with his, his aspirations over Sonny Liston, who, who many just thought was invincible. I think the name that made Cassius Clay was Sonny Liston. And, and despite the predictions of the young challenger that the old bear would be trapped and wrapped, Liston was still <laughs> considered... Trapped and wrapped? Yeah. Liston was still considered totally invincible, as you say. No one thought he could be beaten. Over two fights, Cassius Clay proves himself really to be at the top of his game. And then this extraordinary thing happens. Just two days after the first victory... Uh, over Liston. Cassius Clay announces to the press that he is no more. He is now Cassius X. You know, like Malcolm X. This mm. idea of dropping your surname, uh, rejecting it because he maintains it was tainted by history and tainted by slavery. Mm. So just imagine the shock of this in the American press. Cassius Clay has just beat Sonny Liston. Now Cassius X. Uh, which would have been, uh, maybe it could have been easy to put on promotional posters if you're trying to sell tickets to another fight. But then, of course, the name changes soon after to the one that we all know. Yeah, in short time, Cassius X becomes Muhammad Ali. And by then, he's really under the influence of, of Elijah Muhammad, who's the, the very charismatic leader uh, of the Nation of Islam, formative influence over the political thinking of Malcolm X as well. And he's, he's a hate figure in the American press, Elijah Muhammad. I mean, he's a black nationalist. He maintains that our people are the fools of the nation's integration means self-destruction. In other words, he argues for segregation of a different kind in society and, and no collaboration as he sees it mm. uh, with white America. And he has the ability to get a lot of media attention. But you know, more importantly, Elijah Muhammad has the ability to hold that attention. And Muhammad Ali recalls later on this journey that he went on, how he just fell under the spell of this man. He says, the first time I truly felt spiritual in my life was when I walked into his temple in Miami. I liked what I heard. I wanted to learn more. I started reading Muhammad Speaks every week, went to meetings and listened to the phonograph record they gave me called The White Man's Heaven is a Black Man's Hell. I had respect for Martin Luther King and all the other civil rights leaders, but I was taking a different road. And that point's important. You know, people like Elijah Muhammad, they regarded Martin Luther King and those around him as sellouts. You know, they mm. regarded that movement as, as wrong. And that is the one that, that, that uh, Muhammad Ali aligns himself with, the, the fringe, if you will, of, of black politics in America. And, and then his career kind of goes off in a, a different direction. He ends up out of the ring for a while uh, because of the outbreak of the war in Vietnam and the stance that he took on that. And it, it's probably easy to forget um, this far removed that he wasn't just seen as something of an objector, but that he was often accused of being pro-Vietnamese. And what's incredible about this is this isn't something that happens decades before he comes to Ireland. I mean, this is the, you know, this is the immediate chapter, if you will, before mm. Muhammad Ali fights in Dublin, the Vietnam war and the outbreak of Vietnam it just rocks American society because what do you do in time of war when you see this happening in, in, in the Ukraine at the moment a society at war rallies around itself you know whatever differences there are you just rally around each other and, and you get through the war there's a national effort if you will in every in every campaign mm. but the Vietnam war is different because from the very beginning there's a strong opposition from the offset and Ali proclaims in 1967 I ain't got no quarrel with the Viet Cong and that becomes a, a really famous line of opposition to the war you know why should I go and fight the Vietnamese 
when we have all these social problems in the States. Ali's arrested, his boxing license is suspended. I mean, you're, you're known as the greatest and you can no longer box, which is yeah. incredible. And you know, he's stripped of the heavyweight title and he can't box for about two years. So for someone whose reputation depended on what he could say in front of a microphone and those witty one-liners and rhymes, this was a hammer blow. Nobody wanted to talk to Muhammad Ali. And the war in Vietnam, look, eventually, as it went on, it just proved more and more unpopular in American society. But the thing about Muhammad Ali, and a bit like, like the, the great actress Jane Fonda, it wasn't that they were just anti-war. They were perceived in the press as being pro-Viet Cong. And that was a lot, lot harder mm. to, to recover a reputation from. Um, against the backdrop of all of that then, it seems pretty surprising that anyone would actually see the opportunity in putting on an Ali fight. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's extraordinary. It's a very bold booking. And it's, it's not a massive booking on one level. Half of the booking is massive. You know, Muhammad Ali versus Al Blue Lewis in the historic setting uh, of Croke Park. And whatever about the terror of the Garrison Games yeah. and the fear of soccer and <laughs> cricket and rugby. By that, yeah. yeah, Croke Park had hosted baseball, uh, American football. I think it had hosted stunt driving on one occasion. <laughs> now, I, I definitely read that along the way. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of there being like yeah. a monster truck rally. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I have dreamt of the monster trucks in Croke Park, but I, I must ring Paul Rouse and say, is that true yeah. or not? Because that, that's that's in my mind. Yeah. And boxing posed no issue. And the Booker is just, what a name, as you said in the beginning, Buddy Sugru, uh, London-based publican originally strange with a name like that but originally from Kilorglin in County mm. Kerry Sugru was just he chased gimmicks you know from, from one end of these islands to the other uh, he spent most of 1966 trying to track down the head of Nelson from the top of Nelson's pillar uh, to display it in his pub <laughs> okay. because that would bring the punters in yeah. he claimed he once pulled the bus across the London Bridge with his teeth alone he was a strong man who liked to pull off these kind of crazy stunts okay. and as a businessman he, he kind of knew what he was doing as well he knew how to get onto the front of the papers so in, in the late 1960s Buddy, Buddy Sugru pulls off this mad trick where a man attempts to break the world record for days entombed underground, buried alive outside his pub in London. They did it with a little bit of cheating. So he's like, he's like the David Blaine of his days. He's like the David Blaine. If David Blaine was a publican in Kilburn, he was Buddy Sugru. And he kind of seemed like a, a Victorian circus master, you know, who'd been born in the wrong time. He loved the gimmick. And to him, you know, taking Muhammad Ali out of the shadows, putting him back centre stage and doing it in Croke Park, well, that was as good a gimmick as there was going to be. Well, and given then that he had a bit of a reputation for being a bit of a showman like a kind of a P.T. Barnum type it must have been very difficult for him to try and convince any promoter that he was genuinely serious about putting on a proper fight and, and selling tickets and for it to be all be a, a legitimate sporting affair Yeah, Dave Hannigan who's written some really nice sporting histories and some great books on, on Ireland and America he, he tells the story really well he talks about Harold Conrad who was the fighting promoter the publicist arrives in London in April 1972 isn't really in, in, isn't entirely uh, convinced by this guy but mm. he goes to the Wellington a proud Irish bar uh-huh. Named after a reluctant named, named Irish after a man. Close town to Botswana. Yes, yes. And he, and he meets Sugru there. Uh, could you get Muhammad Ali for a fight in Dublin? Against whom, asked Conrad. I'll leave that up to you. And then Harold tells the press, it was always my dream to do a big heavyweight fight in Ireland. Yeah, right. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not Irish. It's not like that. But Ireland is where fights started. You ever been there? They fight. They argue all the time. If you don't argue with them, they get mad at you mm-hmm. uh, in Ireland. Well, we gave so. the world the word Donnybrook. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this kind of paddywhackery is everywhere at the time. And Ali, I mean, he's a curious character by now. The sidelining is over. Uh, but he's not really returned from exile fully. You know, he's been defeated in Madison Square Gardens just over a year previously. The purses are shrinking, the financial incentive to fight. But 
Buddy Sugru has convinced this man, Harold Conrad, that there's something in this mm. and the fight in Dublin is on. So Al Blue Lewis then, he's not the biggest name for an opponent. But if you think about, you know, the, the storied <laughs> ones, even those who aren't like scholars of heavyweight boxing, he's not in the name of the, the pantheon of the names that you remember him taking on, your foremans and your listings and the like. Mm. Uh, but Croke Park was the biggest venue. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, Al Lewis is remembered for one thing, and that's really, he's remembered for fighting Muhammad Ali here. Anyway, yeah. uh, he's been described as a tough and powerful yet limited fighter, which is probably being kind. And in truth, you know, in Celebrity Star of the Ireland, I think Ali could have drawn a decent crowd fighting his own shadow. You know, people <laughs> were going to come and see Muhammad Ali. Uh, but in the end, the fight in, in, in July proved a really poorly run affair. One account has it, the organisation of the event was so poor that boxing gloves had to be flown in at the last minute because no one had thought to supply them. This <laughs> boxing match. Attendance for the event they, was... They, they probably just thought that there'd be a sponsor or whatever, that they just they lay them that, on. And then they just like, have them. Uh-oh. Attendance was 18,725 with at least 7,000 people getting in free. Now, here's the great bit of this account. The break-even figure was 30,000. Now, oh dear. Buddy Sugru lost a lot of money. Ticket costs, I think, were one factor. But Sugru, look, he was a man with too many plates in the air. He was trying to do too much mm. all the time. And he'd no experience of organising a boxing event. And that really showed on the day. But those that were there outside, when you talk to them, what they really remember was the rush. You know, as the national anthems were playing, uh, they just saw their opportunity, charged the gates, and, 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 and in they went. Okay. And the fight which ended in the 11th, it was very, very far from spectacular. Ali went through the motions. But if you were there... You know, a little bit like if you saw Pele on the pitch in Daly yeah. Park, at least you got to see him. Because uh, Pele never played in Wembley, but at least he played in <laughs> Daly. So at least, at least there's that. I'm never sure, actually, if, if you spent loads of money on a ticket to like a, a proper heavyweight boxing match, do you want to get your money's worth or do you want to go and see like an explosive second round KO and then go, but that's your night early, you know? Um, so this fight then, in, in the grand scheme of, of Ali's career, um, is it remembered with any kind of significance as part of his lore or is it just this kind of curious Irish footnote on his road back to commercial redemption? I think unfortunately like so much of, of, of what's happened on the island of Ireland historically it is a footnote in a bigger story you know, and, and the fight doesn't really feature at all uh, in several biographies of, of Muhammad Ali so it's part of this period they broadly know as the comeback but they never really get into too much mm. detail on you know Ali who kind of mellowed politically he moved away from the politics of the nation of Islam he did enjoy another kind of remarkable period after this in the 1970s. Yeah. Great names. The Trilla in Manila, the Rumble in the Jungle. You know, mm. This was all still to come. But I think as well as boxing, you know, philanthropy, we should remember, remember him for this. It was such an important part of his life. And I think that was central to him coming back to Ireland uh, later on. And look, the greatest, it's estimated a billion people billion people a billion people watched Ali's funeral uh, at the time of his passing but look there's only a few thousand people knocking around the world who can say well I saw him in Croke Park uh, and even fewer who can say they paid for it <laughs> <laughs> clearly uh, Donald Fallon is the author of Henrietta Street from Tenement to Suburbia and he's the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast on Dublin history which you'll find anywhere you get your audio online and if you're going to Croke Park soon if you take a look at the tunnel between the Cusick stand and the Davin stand you'll notice that the little tunnel there the ambulance tunnel where the coming amongst school kids run in and out is still the Ali Tunnel. There's no plaque there, but it's still named after him because of his fight that he had in Croke Park 50 years ago. Donald Fallon, as ever, uh, thank you very much. We'll see you next week. 